I was very fortunate this morning to be invited to the launch of Eswatini Air. I have fond memories of driving from Durban to Swaziland, which was one of the few places close by where South Africans with limited resources could drive across the border and have the most amazing holiday. So fond, fond memories, but also, you know, a real sense of value for money destination was Swaziland for South Africans. And not all of us had the means to jump on an international flight. So Eswatini for me will remain an exotic location. I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to see what the changes are, but very fond family memories of holidays and all the Sun International groups that were present there. And of course, there was no flight, as far as I know, from Durban to Swaziland, or else I was too little to know about it. But fortunately, this morning, I had excellent exposure to what Eswatini Air is all about. And like a phoenix, and like so many airlines that have taken uh, a lot of strain during COVID and with the various lockdowns, Eswatini has just relaunched and will do its inaugural flight from Cape Town to Swaziland tomorrow. And we got to meet the entire executive team. We're going to be chatting today to Xavier Masule, who is the commercial director for Eswatini Air. An interesting gentleman is Xavier. He has um, 20 plus years of experience in the airline industry. He is at Eswatini as the commercial director, so the bottom line and the spend is his responsibility. His previous roles in the airline industry include accounting and finance, business development, strategic management, and he's also worked as an airline accountable manager for regulatory compliance. Now, I'm, I'm interested to ask Xavier what that is about, but he is also he's also served on the EXCO of the airline industry leading associations, which is African Airline Association, AFRA. And Eswatini is the national airline of the kingdom of Eswatini. How wonderful to be chatting to you today, Xavier Masule. Welcome to Jet Setting with Janet. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to all our listeners. It's a big pleasure. Um, Xavier, you have an impressive CV, but also a huge responsibility to turn around the interest in Swaziland and encourage our travelers to come to your destination, right? Yes, that is um, our mandate. That is the mandate for and the purpose why our um, organization was established, to make sure that um, Eswatini remains connected to the neighboring countries and to the rest of the world. While that has its uh, benefits, we also have a huge responsibility of making sure that um, this is done sustainably. So, Xavier, I want to hear a little bit about Eswatini Air. What is your fleet looking like? as a start? Thanks. Um, Eswatini Air is um, a business unit within our corporate called Royal Eswatini National Airways Corporation, affectionately known as RENAC. Within mm -hmm. RENAC, we have a number of business streams, which include um, ground handling. We do sell um, jet fuel. We do operate charters, VVIP charters for that matter. We do charter brokerage services. Uh, we also have a unit that does bookings um, and ticketing for air travel and, and related services. So Eswatini Air is one of those um, business units, the newest one, 
which will be focusing in operating the scheduled airline of um, services. Uh, we are a startup airline. Uh, we are starting off with two um, Embraer ERG-145 jets, which are 50-seater, all economy class service. Um, in the next couple of months, um, when we add to our current destinations, uh, we believe that we'll be growing the fleet also. As the demand grows, for sure, you're going to be growing that fleet um, quite rapidly, Xavier. But I think it's a good way to start. A 50-seater, you know, is nice, it's comfortable, it, it gives you the opportunity to do your, your route and not put you under too much pressure, of course. Indeed. Um, the Imbrea, actually, uh, because we looked around and we found it to be the most suitable aircraft for our, for our requirements. Um, it's an aircraft that is already popular in the region, and it has proved to be um, the best in terms of economics and also being able to fulfill the missions. Excellent. So, Xavier, just explain to me, you said this is a full economy air route, which means that there's no business class. It's one class. In, indeed. Um, majority of our flight sectors are short. Um, it's one mm -hmm. hour, one hour, 30 minutes. The longest is two hours. You'll find that and for uh, the two-hour flight is the one from Cape Town, right? Yes, two hours thirty minutes is the Cape Town flight, which is the longest. So um, even those people that want to travel business class for sh such short sectors, um, you find that it doesn't really give them the value that they need. Hence, having provided for an all economy class service initially. I think that's very wise for sure. Um, but we also um, we we are putting a, a quality service whether you are someone that always enjoys business class or economy class the quality of the service that we'll get um you have no reason to complain the food and uh, the leg room will be um, good the beverage selection the, the meal options um, will be all up to standard so you've got different routes that you are doing xavier will you tell us about those routes please yes as i mentioned we are starting up now um, our first destination we launched was johannesburg on the 26th of march this year we do twice daily, uh, linking Eswatini with Johannesburg. Uh, we also launched on the 14th of April flights linking Eswatini to Harare in Zimbabwe, where we operate four flights a week. Uh, on the 5th of May, we connected Eswatini with Deben. The plan for Deben is to go daily, uh, but we have started off with four flights a week. Again, as demand picks up, we will be adding the number of flights to that destination. And now on the 2nd of June, we are connecting Eswatini with Cape Town, where we will initially do three flights a week. Excellent. That's a good start. So talking about the fleet, we've gotten a sense of what the fleet comprises. We've gotten a sense of what the uh, experience is like. When we land in Manzini, what are we expecting to see? Well, um, Eswatini is, is a beautiful country. Um, one of those that you can refer to as the hidden gem. We, mm -hmm. we are opening Eswatini up now to the continent and the rest of the world. So it's no longer going to be, it's no longer going to remain a hidden gem. So it's quite a relaxed environment. The, the climate, the weather is very friendly. Um, it's green, it's not polluted. Um, the people are very friendly. Um, the culture, the Af true African culture still is visible and alive very much in Eswatini. We do have while we still have the culture and, and everything else intact, the, the country has first world, I would say, um, infrastructure and facilities and services. We have restaurants, we have conference facilities, 
we have sports amenities such as golf, um, basketball, whatever you might want to do. The landscapes, the mountainous horizons, um, everything that you want to, everything that you need to have your 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 life fulfilled in terms of relaxation and and a pleasure, um, you you do find. We do find a lot of adventure tourism activities such as zip lining, bungee jumping, water rafting. So we do cater for every uh, market segment. Um, anyone who wants to to relax, um, anybody who wants to sweat, um, anybody who wants to go for business um, and the like. Absolutely, sounds sounds enticing. Now you talked about adventure tourism, and I think that adventure tourism is really. Uh, what Eswatini is known for because there's so much greenery, there's so much outdoor activity, it's really a hiker's paradise. But what about those not so active people? What do you have on offer for them? We we do have um, options, um, scenic related, if you just want to relax and look at the landscape. If nature, nature walks, uh, if you want to go for wildlife, viewing we do have um, nature reserves we we also have traditional or cultural activities where you can just go sit and see how um, the original way of life in the Swazi community was so those are things that you can experience and enjoy um, we do have cuisines um, original traditional cuisines so you don't need to sweat to do some of the the nice things that we, we do offer mm-hmm. on there on the plate. And then you mentioned cuisine. What kind, what is the typical Eswatini cuisine, Zed, yeah? <laughs> the typical um, Swati cuisine is, is a true African cuisine. We, we have meat. We have, uh, we call it pap in Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just how it's prepared and what is mixed with the, the traditional um, ingredients and the, and the flavors that comes with it. We, we also have the traditional um, drinks that come with it. Um, you can have it with marula. Um, you can also have it with other uh, non-alcoholic beverages. It's, it's quite, ex- I can't explain it better than if, if one comes there to experience it themselves. One needs to experience it for sure. Yes. Now, Xavier, with uh, Eswatini being a sort of a central route, do you foresee that people will fly to Eswatini to go to other African destinations. Indeed, um, our route network and our schedule is designed in such a way that when you depart, for example, from Cape Town, uh, you have an option to go to Deben via Eswatini. If you are in Deben, you can connect via Eswatini to Harare. You can also connect from either Harare or from Deben via Eswatini to Johannesburg. Um, Eswatini is also in very close proximity with Mozambique. So it's easy for you to fly from Cape Town or from Deben into Eswatini. Then you take a shuttle. Uh, within 60 um, minutes, you are already on the Mozambican side. So we do have That's partners wonderful. on the ground who, who offer services to complement our air service operation. That's wonderful. I think that's a great option for people who are wanting to combine a little bit of leisure and a little bit of business travel, but also to do a nice African experience. I think Indeed. that Swaziland Eswatini will soon become a nice gateway for people wanting to visit other locations in Africa as well. Indeed, the, the great Kruger National Game Park is also um, less than two hours drive. When you land in Eswatini, you can rent a car and drive across. And we have the local nature um, reserves such as the Klane, 
in and the, the beauty of our nature reserves there is um within 30 minutes you are able to see all the big five unlike um other nature reserve options where you spend 2 3 days to see one of the the big five elements that's excellent zavia there's a lot of competition um with airline space what are the things that you are doing that are unique to drive traffic to your destination well first of all um we are home to a beautiful place so us being the only service provider linking air transport services uh, linking eswatini to the likes of zimbabwe um deben direct non stop that is already a plus additional to that Uh, taking into account that there are other service providers uh, we do complement each other i wouldn't want to call them competitors we we do offer options which our other complementing service providers might not be offering like the flight schedule departure arrival times our pricing is very competitive um almost i would say irresistible and on board our service we we differentiate by making sure that the swazi culture is alive so you basically um start experiencing eswatini when you board the flight not necessarily after you have landed in eswatini so this is all part of the service offering which uh, for which we are um offering and extending to our prospective clients if you are going to zimbabwe for example um our airport is is very neat very modern very small um you are able to connect within 30 35 minutes uh, without the hassle of having to stand in long queues or walking long distances from one gate to another i think that's very attractive for a lot of people because people are just in a you know looking for effective time efficient solutions indeed so so this is an alternative option and offering that we are making um extending out there you will find that if you are tra- traveling let's call it from deben going to harare um if you have to go via the great uh, ortambo international airport you have to collect your bags go recheck in to board the next flight but if you are going via eswatini you check through to final destination without having to go through those um clearances and 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 protocols at the intermediate point that really is very handy zavia so any last words before we close on the actual interview zavia um at eswatini uh, and also the country at large we are very excited about this development it's one of those initiatives which the country came up with to make sure that we have a catalyst initiative that will support socio economic development in the form of of jobs that will be created the gdp contribution and also make the country easily accessible so that uh, people don't only hear about eswatini but they are also able to come uh, eswatini has a lot to offer um majority of the people are only aware of one of the festivals that we have which is the readers so with the airline having come on the scene now we will expose to the world um, the rest of the yeah. festivals such as the bush fire which just ended last weekend uh, we have festivals throughout the year from january through to december excellent zevia i know that you very generously are giving away two return air tickets from any destination in south africa to eswatini and we thank you for that greatly because i think it's a huge incentive for our listeners to actually go onto the jet setting with janet portal and enter the competition so that we can award this to a worthy recipient and i am so excited for whoever wins this because eswatini really is a wonderfully immersive experience and a destination not to be missed 
Xavier, thank you so much for joining us on Jet Setting with Janet. It's been great chatting to you. We're chatting this morning to David King. He is responsible for the Air Access Portfolio at Westgrow. We have chatted to David before, and uh, we know that there's a lot of new activity when it comes to airlines flying into Cape Town. We're just doing a catch-up with David to see where we're at and what new and exciting things are happening internationally in terms of access to Cape Town. Good morning, David, and welcome. Yeah, thanks, uh, Janet. Thanks for having me again. Um, Always good to talk to you, so looking forward to it. It's a pleasure, David. So we've been chatting today. We chatted to SAA. We chatted to the guys at Eswatini who are starting to fly, you know, regionally and then into Manzini. SAA chatted to us about the new international routes that are opening up. And we just wanted to get the bird's eye view from you as to what was happening in terms of air access and where we're sitting in the Western Cape. I know that you and your team have been really busy promoting the city to the international market. Uh, Yeah, no problem. Glad to do that. Uh, Yeah, we've been very busy uh, the past few months, especially just after our summer season ended. Some of the airlines you know, reduced uh, frequencies into Cape Town, as as is really the case uh, when we approach winter. But you know, it hasn't been a quiet time for us. We've kept ourselves busy, and luckily, we've yeah, we've have these two new African airlines that are connecting to um, Cape Town soon. Actually, today is the the launch of the Eswatini Air flight from Manzini to Cape Town. I think they're supposed to arrive uh, at about one o'clock. Today, so we're really looking forward to that flight. It's going to be a, a great connection for us. Yeah, Eswatini is interesting in the sense that it, you know, that it's almost closer if you land there to, you know, to drive to Maputo and even the Kruger. So there's a lot of options uh, when also visiting, you know, some of the other attractions that that's on offer um, in our region. And then Absolutely. we're also looking. For, you know yeah, what I found it. interesting, yeah. David, is that Manzini had a three-day rave festival and there were 25,000 people at this huge three-day party. Oh, <laughs> and wow. I was like, what? Manzini threw a party for 25k <laughs> people. So I think that it's, you know, I, I think of it as a hidden gem, but it's a well-known hidden gem if all those people rocked up to party for three days and enjoy Manzini. What a pleasure. Because obviously... Yeah, now it's easier. They can fly there. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And with the adventure side and, you know, the natural resources, it's uh, it's brilliant. I was blown away when somebody said, oh, I thought I wasn't going to make our interview because, you know, I just came back from Eswatini and I was like, wow, we were about to chat to them. Why were you there? And he said, well... I went to the three-day festival, so quite interesting. Yeah, thanks for that. I'll have to research that. I didn't even know about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, me too. Yeah, and then so you were telling we also, us about Eswatini and the benefits. Yes, so we've also what's what's uh, really great for us is in a month's time we will also have ProFlight Zambia flying straight from Lusaka into Cape Town. And for us, that's also a big coup because that was one of our biggest unserved uh, destinations in Southern mm-hmm. Africa. So I think that connection is also going to do very well, uh, you know, flying to the capital of, of Zambia. So 
really looking forward to that one as well. So yeah, that's the that's the two new African airlines that that will fly into Cape Town. And, wow, um, I think it's great for the SADC region to have us as the gateway because there's a lot more business happening within the continent. Um, certainly, you know, the tourism sector looked to the continent when international borders were closed. And we've really ramped up beautifully in that relationship with the wider continent. So that's good news. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, uh, you know, what, what happened and, we won't take all the credit, but since this, you know, this project started, we've really seen a big increase in our African connectivity. You know, we've we started six new routes uh, since 2015. There's 15 new destinations on the continent that wasn't, you know, that wasn't served previously. Um, 11 countries connected to Cape Town. So it's really, you know, we've we've really focused on our on our connectivity into Africa. We obviously That's still have huge. some gaps that we're looking at. You know, West Africa for us is also a big market. Uh, Lagos uh, in Nigeria is also really a destination that, that we want served. So um, really working hard on, on, you know, getting some airlines interested in that route as well. Phenomenal, David. I think we're going to see some beautiful, robust activity. In addition to air access in terms of Africa, you know, I was at the SATSA conference. I was privy to the conversations. And I, and I felt so proud sitting there, just hearing all of the things that you and the team had done. And we had some Avia Dev people and the um, Business Airline Collective also in the room. I, I just want to hear what is happening internationally. Yeah, like I said, we, we had a great start to the year. Uh, the last three months, well, the last three months of the season, but the first three months of 2023, January, February, March, we surpassed 2019 levels in terms of our international passenger traffic. Uh, we're sitting at an average of 104% above, you know, 2019 levels. So 4% uh, more than we had in 2019, which is amazing for Cape Town. Um, and it's all due to the carriers that just, you know, put their confidence back you know, into the destination. We had Virgin Atlantic starting the UK route again after leaving in 2015, which yeah, was amazing for us. Um, you know, British Airways came back strongly. So so the UK is still our top market. And during the summer, we had 24 connections into uh, London, which really helped uh, boost the passenger numbers there. And then Lufthansa from Germany, Condor came back uh, with their seasonal service. And they will also start earlier when um, usually the airlines start ab around about October, November, but yes. Condor will, you know, already come back in September. So it also just shows that, you know, the airlines are keen to re-enter the market after taking a break during the winter now. And then we had also new, you know, interesting new airline like Air Belgium flying from Brussels, uh, which really worked well. I think they had a very good season and they, you know, they will also hopefully return the end of the year and then the you know our bankers like KLM and Turkish and Qatar and Emirates Singapore Airlines um, you know they all increased capacity as well uh, Emirates is back to a double daily now Qatar does 10 flights a week um, Singapore That's does a daily flight yeah and then of course North America I think that was something we worked on very hard and the amazing story there is we, you know, we started in 2019 with United Airlines with three flights a week uh, to New York. And we ended up uh, in March 
having, you know, from November to March, having 13 flights to the U.S. with Delta also starting and United also starting Washington. So big connectivity into North America now as well for Cape Town. That's just phenomenal for the leisure traveler, but also for business, because I learned from listening to your presentation, David, that it's a huge exercise to actually convince an airline to fly into a city, that it's got to be economically viable, that you have to guarantee a couple of things, and that it's not just about the passengers, but also about cargo opportunities. So explain to our listeners that whole process, if you don't mind, very, very simply. Yeah, that's thanks for that question. I, I really, um, you know, it's not just about, you know, quickly doing a visit and then the airline decides, okay, yes, we're going to fly. You know, like in the United case, that took, uh, you know, almost three and a half years to convince them that Cape Town is a viable destination. So obviously when you when you want to attract a, you know, carrier to your destination, you, you first need a, a suitable carrier that can fly the route. And that's maybe why we're struggling, you know, with some of the routes like West Africa um, and uh, some others. But, you know, when, when we've identified that route and the carrier, we'll then, you know, prepare a business case. And as you said, it, uh, you know, it's all of these things about, you know, number of passengers. What, but there's also some softer issues like attractions in the destination. Is there some uh, potential for VFR traffic or do we have an expat community living um you know, overseas that that could drive some of this traffic. And then there's like visa regimes. Is that, a, you know, is it easy to get into the destination? What's the ease of doing business uh, in the other country? You know, and we look at the investment situation. Is there a lot of companies operating that would, you know, drive the business traffic? So all of that plays a plays a role in in, in the decision of the airline. And, and we just basically assist them by sensitizing them to what's going on in Cape Town. We've got amazing support from our other Wesco units that, you know, the destination marketing unit, the trade unit and the investment unit, you know, putting together these business cases. And then our other partners that are also very important, uh, South African tourism, Cape Town tourism, and then the support from, from our government entities, Western Cape government and city of Cape Town. And then obviously you can't leave out the airport that's probably your, your most important partner because that's where the flight has to land. So AXA has been a great partner for us as well. And they, uh, you know, they also part of this business case development in terms of making sure that, you know, there's a space where the airline can land and, you know, there's, uh, there's operating times for them. So, yeah, a lot of parts I'm that need amazed. to come together. Yes, I'm just amazed, amazed you know, it's, they say it takes a village, but it really does take the whole city and the country to make this happen because it's uh, it's a huge service offering and it's a huge coup when people fly in because it's income into the country. But it's also about maintaining service levels, continuing to perform at the projected output that was agreed on. So there's a lot of pressure on the team, obviously. And uh, just from a you know, work-life balance point of view, a personal question, David. How do you manage all of this and manage to stay fit? I know you're a, a keen, outdoorsy type of person. I just want to hear how you keep the balance going. I think it's easy um, if you enjoy the job. Um, it doesn't always feel like work. Obviously, there's some times mm -hmm. that, that I'm also, <laughs> um, you know, bogged down in admin. 
and or you know compliance because we are still a government entity which maybe is not always nice but uh, i think just enjoying the job makes it a lot easier especially like today going to the airport to see a new airline land is always amazing absolutely um but yeah like i mean I live in Somerset West, so it's quite a drive into the city. Uh, luckily, we still have some flexi- uh, flexible working hours in terms of, you know, work from home. So I don't mm-hmm. come in every day. But, yeah, as long as you, you know, I think it's nice to live close to your family and friends. And, you know, at least you have some time to spend with them when you get home. Um, Absolutely. Instead of maybe living close to your work and, and missing out on that part of, you know, your and social working. life. Yes. Well, I'm happy to hear that uh, you make that divide because once you hit the road heading to Somerset West, it feels almost, you know, you're almost in the winelands, uh, you're winding down. It's a completely different atmosphere from the city. So I'm happy to hear that uh, you have a good balance and that you don't need to come in every day because that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, at some point probably... We'll see if we have to come in five days again. Um, but mm-hmm. for now, I, I like the the split between office and home, and it works if you if you at least see the people now and then because I think there's still value in coming into the office and meeting your colleagues and going for a coffee and just um, seeing them in person. And I think that's I mean that's that's a goal in terms of travel as well. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a business. You know, if people for didn't sure. get on a plane and they just did everything virtually, then then the airline business wouldn't have worked. So we're glad that people are still flying and visiting uh, destinations and especially Cape Town. For sure, David, absolutely. So we're chatting today to Sean Mendez. Sean is a seasoned airline professional. He has extensive experience with a track record of turning around airlines, launching, managing and restructuring various airlines and aviation facilities. He comes with over 20 years of experience in the industry and uh, he must be referred to as the turnaround specialist because he's completed three startup airline projects in Africa and he is really well positioned to talk to us today on the subject of air access in Africa. Good afternoon, Sean, and welcome to Jet Setting with Janet. Good afternoon, and thank you very much for having me. It's a big pleasure, Sean. We're very excited with the developments that we're seeing in African air access, and we just wanted to catch up with you and see what your thoughts were around where we're heading in terms of air access. Well, you know... Africa is one of those continents where you always wonder why it's not doing as well with aviation as it should be. Africa is 20% of the global landmass. It's 12% of the global population, but only 3% of global air traffic. So obviously something is something, you know, something is not being done right. And you know, there are a variety of reasons for this. Uh, you know, some of them are poor access to local capital in many African countries, an over-reliance of government in many African economies, governments viewing air travel as a luxury and therefore an easy target for taxation. There are infrastructure constraints in terms of, say, airports that cannot that cannot run 24 hours a day or don't have lighting or you know have load shedding. And there's an inflated cost of logistics because, you know, 
You've got many more borders to cross with a lot of small countries. You've got landlocked countries which can't rely on sea freight and things like that. So generally, Africa has had a lot of challenges in terms of, of why access to aviation in Africa has been, you know, has been not been at the level it really should be given the size of the continent and given the demand that should exist in the continent. You know, Sean, you mentioned load shedding, and I cannot tell you, as somebody living in South Africa, how disruptive that is for our own operations. It's hugely challenging. And I, I think, think you that's... might have a, an oversight. I don't know if this is happening in, re in the rest of Africa. Because let me tell you, it's so bad for business and operations. No, absolutely. And, you know, it brings in an inflated hidden cost of it. And I remember many years ago talking to a, uh, to an, uh, to a hotel owner in Ghana. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, you've got a decent hotel, but you're charging nearly $200 a night where I can get a similar brand standard for about $100 a night in, in the Western world. Your labor costs are so much cheaper here. Why are you so expensive? And his answer was, well, I need to have backup generators. I need to have fuel for them. I need to have private security. I need to have my own water supply. Everything I do, which I, you know, in most developed countries, you can rely on public utilities to provide for public safety, for basic utilities and the like. I have to provide redundancies for. And as a result, because I'm duplicating everything, my costs are basically winding up being double. And those are hidden costs which make market uncompetitive. And yes, that is what makes markets where you don't have reliable power supply, where you don't have good roads or similar, less attractive for international investors. And consequently, if international business travelers are not coming to these destinations, to bring it back to the aviation standpoint, airlines are less likely to be willing to fly there. So this is definitely something that, that a lot of Africa has faced and something that South Africa is, is realizing is an issue right now. Certainly, South Africa is recovering from COVID, but South Africa is actually lagging the rest of Africa very badly in terms of a recovery from COVID for a variety of reasons. But that is one of them. That is just uh, staggering, Sean. When I listen to you, you know, it just further entrenches the sense of the, the sense of discomfort we feel about where we're heading as a country. Although our program is not about load shedding, it really does impact tremendously on our operations. And I am interested to hear from you. What does it take to turn around an airline? We've seen airlines just collapse in South Africa. And, you know, I read in your, in your bio that you've turned around three airlines as if it's something you just do at the drop of a hat. It must be a monumental task. So I'm just curious, what does it take? I think the most fundamental thing an airline needs to be able to be successful, whether that's as a startup or as an existing carrier looking to turn itself around, or even a successful carrier looking to, you know, to scale itself upwards, uh, is they must have a clear direction. You, you, you must know what you are looking to achieve and then start working to achieve it. Unfortunately, you find that a lot of airlines in Africa are run as vanity projects. They exist because, because either a government or you know, a high net worth individual or somebody basically says, I need an airline to add to my portfolio of, uh, of, of other activities. And it launches, again, more to stoke the ego or to bring glory to someone rather than with a clear commercially proven business case. And these guys, as I, you know, I, I like to say, they are ego-driven vanity projects with basket cases for business cases. 
And these people often wind up going bankrupt sooner rather than later. But more critically, that winds up, they wind up while they are operating, making the market unsustainable for those who are even well run. And sometimes it's not a bad thing if an airline, a badly run airline goes out of business, especially when these badly run airlines are subsidized by governments or are, are, are running unrealistic business plans. South Africa, for example, had a unsustainably run African Airways running until 2020. Uh, the airline consistently lost money. The airline consistently made it harder for better run airlines in South Africa to compete with them. And, uh, you know, that anti-competitive action, which they were which they were convicted of and had to pay fines and uh, compensation to Comair, wound up pretty much stifling innovation in that market. Certainly, South Africa today struggles because there's a lot of capacity that was taken out when South African Airways and Comair left the market. But if you look at the growth, the strong growth of private sector carriers like Safair and Airlink and Semair and the new Lyft, uh, these carriers are, are are doing things the right way. They have a clear objective in each of their cases. Safair is clearly set up as a low-cost carrier. Airlink is clearly set up as a regionally focused carrier. Having that as, as a clear direction that you're working together towards, rather than being everything to everyone, as many state-owned airlines tend to be, I think that is the first step and the most critical step if an airline really wants to make themselves successful. So, uh, you know, that I, above anything else, I'd say that is really the secret to success in aviation in Africa. Very revealing words, Sean, because we know when the rot at SAA started to be revealed, we were just gobsmacked and we didn't know any better. You know, we were so loyal. We thought this is it. This is the best way to go. And now that we have competitors on the horizon, we realize what good services, we realize what good value is, and we don't have a hothouse condition. No, absolutely. We and, have to uh, accept you know, what we get. Absolutely. And, you know, SAA has, uh, SAA has struggled. And I think that, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a poster child for where government involvement in the airline sector is, is counterproductive. SAA often had to make decisions, whether those decisions were on procurement or which routes to operate or, or a variety of things, human resources and the like, that were, were driven by priorities other than the well-being of the airline itself. And, you know, when you start, it's, it's a death by a thousand cuts. Each individual, you know, the choice that I'm going to hire this man or this woman as the head of human resources, for example, rather than a more qualified candidate, may not be the death knell for an airline in itself. But when you do that across a thousand different decisions in a thousand different areas, you wind up losing track of what your your objective is, which is to provide, you know, to, to transport people by air from point A to point B in the most cost efficient and safe manner. You know, SA lost track of that over the years. It became it became a political uh, animal rather than a service provider. And as a result, you know, I think everyone has seen where it went to in 2020. And hopefully, uh, again, I'm not overly optimistic by the path that they've taken so far, but hopefully the new SA, you know, doesn't get embroiled in the same sort of, uh, of, of issues that caused the death knell for the first one. We're all holding thumbs, Sean. So, Sean, another thing that I want to just solicit your opinion on, South Africa is playing, and certainly Cape Town, has become an international gateway for a lot of international airlines. 
and we have some seasonal, some that are flying all year round. How do you see this as impacting on our economy? Well, the reality is that despite the growth in Cape Town, the total amount of seats to and from South Africa are still down around 20% since pre-COVID. Now, a big reason for that is obviously SA's capacity almost entirely removed from the market on long-haul flights. Uh, a lot of other airlines are, are backfilling it. But the key difference you're seeing over here is, remember, when an airline from France or the US or Dubai or wherever flies to South Africa, they are, they are picking passengers for whom South Africa is already part of their travel plans. But when a strong airline in South Africa is using South Africa as its hub, you are now getting passengers flying into South Africa who did not previously have South Africa in their plans. So if you were flying, say, from, from New York to Malawi, one of your options when South African Airways was operating or when any South African carrier had a hub in Johannesburg was you would have an option of connecting your flight in Joburg. And, you know, that, that lo loss of South Africa's hub status is something that is, is really affecting the volumes that are being driven through South Africa, despite the influx of a number of other carriers which are looking to serve the South African market rather than necessarily bring the volumes needed to, you know, to get back to those numbers that existed pre-COVID. Now, it's not always necessarily a bad thing. If you are, you know, if you're losing money on every passenger, you can't make up for it in volume. But, uh, you know, I think South Africa has geographic disadvantages by being right at the end of the continent. And unless an airline which runs a hub in South Africa is particularly well run, they will not be able to leverage that position competitively uh, going forward. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a moment of truth for South Africa. If these airlines, the, the private sector airlines currently there can leverage it well. I mean, Airlink has done a very good job, but on a, on a much smaller scale, on a regional scale. Safair has got its handful serving the domestic market for which so much capacity was taken out that, you know, it's taken every, every pilot they could find for the last one year and every plane they could get in the market to just simply, you know, backfill that capacity. So there are challenges over there that, uh, you know, attracting new carriers will help, but not completely solve. Interesting, very interesting, because each time we see a new airline come in, we we celebrate like it's Uhuru, but now that you contextualize it, we realize, okay, we need to be circumspect about this. And the key prize would actually be that South African Airways builds up to full capacity and fulfills the function that it used to, correct? I wouldn't necessarily say South African Airways. I'd say that, you know, a carrier or a group mm -hmm. of carriers in partnership make South African. South African airports, for all we love to grumble about them, are still some of the better infrastructure on the continent. I mean, you know, going through Cape Town or even Johannesburg Airport is a lot less stressful than connecting through a Nairobi or even sometimes an Addis Ababa, which are, which are the... I know. 
I've done both and I've been so stressed out. Exactly. So the infrastructure is there in South Africa. When the lights stay on, you know, there are they are decent airports to connect through. So I think, uh, you know, that is where, and again, the, South, the carriers in South Africa are doing this. Airlink, Semair, they are signing, you know, I think every couple of months you see Airlink has a new partnership with this airline or Semair is now interlining with Emirates or whatever else. And they're doing that yes. so that the passengers going to the Namibias, the Zambias, the Botswanas, the Mozambiques, the Malawis will be able to use Johannesburg, Cape Town, even Durban potentially as hubs to, to connect it for people who are looking to, to access the wider Southern African, the SADC region, so to speak. And uh, so it's there. It doesn't have to necessarily be South African Airways themselves. I think South African Airways has a has a long way to go before they can efficiently compete competitively and commercially in these, you know, in that kind of space. But if South African Airways, you know, builds up from its basics properly for the right reasons and with the right uh, with the right objectives, I think, uh, you know, there's no reason they can't be one of those players in the grouping, which helps to contribute towards uh, what bringing South Africa's hub status back to where it was. Good. Sounds promising, Sean. So, I believe that you're based in Malawi and you work yes. out of Malawi. Is that home for you? Yes, it is. Uh, my wife's Malawian, so I've been living here for ooh, over six years now. So uh, Malawi is the base. Wonderful. It's on my bucket list, Sean. It certainly is on my bucket list. And travel in Africa is the focus for 2023. Today, Tushab Nambadashia. She is the head of sales. Her market is South Africa. And as we know, South African Airways is the flagship of Africa, founded in 1934, a long time before many of us on the podcast were born. But the airline is headquartered in Airways Park at the O.R. Tambo International Airport. And um, Shabnam has got a wide variety of skills. She's multidisciplined. And uh, she's got global experience and access to many international networks. She's been referred to as an aviation blue blood. And it's a great honor to have her on the show with us. Shabnam, welcome. And it's such a pleasure to have you fresh from a conference talking about all things airline and youth. So welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Janet. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you this evening. You know, Shabnam, it's uh, quite fortuitous because we have all this airline activity all of a sudden. We have revenge tourism happening. So people moving all over and wanting to explore and suffering from some kind of cabin fever. And it's wonderful to chat to people and see where is the airline business now? You know, that awful time when we were hit with a black swan called COVID-19, we had our fleet parked. And South African Airways is the national carrier, as we know, has faced more than just the COVID pandemic, but many challenges. And we don't want to focus on the challenges today. We want to focus on the solutions that have been found and how the airline is moving forward. And I'm hoping that you can give us some insight into the new SAA, if I could call it that. Mm. So only a pleasure to do that with you this evening, Janet, and I'm so glad that you are, like me, someone that focuses on the positive. I find 
far too often we engage in conversations that that take us back to the past and and focus on what has happened. Uh, so I'm really, really thrilled to be speaking to you about where South African Airways is at the moment and the way we are crafting our new future. So very rightly, we had the event that you call Black Swan, but SAA also had its own internal Black Swan, which was business rescue, which we transcended. We are one of the few carriers globally that have um, emerged from business rescue successfully. Um, so it was no mean feat. It was a struggle for, for all of us that remained. Um, and we're still here to progress this airline, this beloved national carrier of us, of, of ours. You know, one of the things that um, is always heartwarming to me when, when you travel overseas is when you're in a foreign destination and you see that tail, you see that flag. Um, it just really brings up this well of emotion of of home. And I hope that a lot of other South Africans have the same sort of feeling. So despite what might be said in the press or the negativity that might surround us historically or, or still in the minds of some people, you've got to remember that at the end of the day, we're all South Africans and this is our national carrier. And somebody's got to stand by it and make it successful again. So with us, we we have a group of just over a thousand very dedicated employees who stuck it out through the worst time in their lives, facing both COVID and um, the business rescue process. And they've held on to carve a new future for South African Airways. So we started out um, in September uh, of 21, 2021, um, once the borders were open again, and we launched our first flight to Cape Town. And that just really took off and, and helped us see the value in ourselves, see the, the love that South Africans have for SAA. Um, and quickly after that, we then brought back Durban online. Um, and in between... We brought back Lagos, we brought back Accra, Kinshasa, in Harare, uh, we have both Harare and Vic Falls. We just recently, over the December period, launched Vintuk. Um, and a month and a half ago, we launched Malawi, where we fly into Lilongwe and Blantyre. So we are growing our regional footprint. We're getting back to the markets that we used to serve. Um, and hopefully soon, we, we will be able to um, announce our newest intercontinental uh, route. At the moment, it still is a toss-up between two cities. Um, what I can tell you is that they're both in the Southern Hemisphere. We're looking at a, a Southern Hemisphere sort of lateral move at the moment for connectivity. Um, and there are two major destinations on the cards. And we'll see which one would, would be the easiest one to connect to first. So, well, I um, just want to add, Shabnam, that the one thing you will realize yeah. is that South Africans are basically very loyal customers, and it was a huge sigh of relief. It's almost like it is connected to the lifeblood of what it, it means to be South African, to fly SAA, because this is the airline of our youth. We identify it was probably our first holiday, first flight ever. 
and our first local or international holiday. And there's so much emotion attached to the SAA brand, certainly for people in the tourism sector. And I just want you to know that as a former public servant, we flew only SAA. And it was a great thing for us to be able to accrue those Voyager miles. And I was entrepreneurial even back then because I, I bought tickets for friends and they paid me for it. And then the other <laughs> thing that I did was that I banked my miles so I could travel internationally. And it just opened up the world being able to do that. So I want you to know and I want you to have comfort that you have very loyal South African customers. Thanks for that, Janet. I think every now and again I need to dip into that pool of positivity to just fire up the engines again to go out every day and get this airline back to where it, it needs to be, where it deserves to be. Absolutely. And I'm sure that the inner workings, you know, the strategy, the the restructuring, the revisioning and re-engineering the business is something that is happening on the back end very, very mm -hmm. vigorously. We want you to tell us about the adventure of flying to Malawi and landing in Blantyre or Lilongwe and what that means for you as an SAA official to be able to fly again because it's, it's, there's a sense of nostalgia, but there's also a sense of huge relief as an airline employee. I think globally, it was just the worst time in everybody's life. So for you as a South African, what does it feel like to step on an SAA flight and land somewhere new? Oh, you know, Janet, I don't think you can ever fully capture that feeling of of flying on your own metal, on your own plane. I, I don't get that kind of comfort. Not that there are any bad airlines out there, but it's a sense of being home, you know, when you fly on your own product, when you fly on the national carrier. There's a sense of belonging. When you see your own people on the flight in terms of the cabin crew, when you have your own language spoken to you um, from the kind of passengers we carry, I see so many of them just beaming with pride when a cabin attendant is able to speak to them in their mother tongue. And just in particular, going back to Malawi, what an awesome welcome. They had a marching military band both Blantyre and Lilongwe, the ministers came what? out. That they, is a royal welcome, if any. It was such a phenomenal welcome. It was just so unreal. And we had a water cannon salute at both airports, Blantyre and Lilongwe. They, they really welcomed us back with open arms. And pretty much at every single destination that we reopened, I mean, we had a similar welcome in Vic Falls, uh, when we went back to Harare, we had the same. When we went to Vintuk, we had the same. And you can see that on the African continent, Janet, and I didn't really know this until I went out to launch these routes, that South African airways, for a large part of, of the, the African destinations we fly to, is almost the de facto carrier of those countries. They... Um, have a bond with us that I did not know existed. And I was pleasantly surprised and amazed when we landed there, when we got to meet the locals, when we got to engage with them, they really looked towards us as 
even though we're the national carrier of South Africa, they look towards us as the national carrier of Africa. And volumes. It certainly speaks volumes. So my next question, Shabnam, you know, we have all of this euphoria, all of this excitement about flying again. The key question for travelers like myself and many of the people listening in will be, firstly, how is the pricing against other airlines that are offering similar product? So one of the things, you know, with pricing, you're not allowed to engage with other carriers. So the best that you you can do as an airline, as an individual airline, you have to work out what it is that your costs are first and then base your pricing. And that's largely what, dep- what di- dictates where we fly to. It's what is our cost base going to be? And a large part of that cost base is fuel. And you, as you know, we pay, well, all airlines pay for fuel in dollars. So whenever the dollar fluctuates, guess what? It directly affects the fare. As we know, the dollar is sitting very, very precariously, almost, you know, making it impossible for many to travel. So I hear what you're saying. Mm, so where we have, because remember, and this is the dynamic that customers maybe are not aware of, we earn in rand, right? But we pay for our costs where at any destination that we land outside of South Africa in dollars. And that has a direct impact on pricing. So when you benchmark against other airlines, you'll see that we are pretty much in this in sort of the same sphere and you'll see the same mm-hmm. sort of fluctuations occurring amongst airlines when there is this fluctuation in the oil price and on the dollar. The reality is that we we are dealing with a very budget-conscious market. South mm. Africans are facing a serious tightening of the belt, unemployment, load mm. shedding, electricity hikes. How will you incentivize us to travel more in this environment? So... I think more of a recommendation than an incentive, Janet, is that what customers have maybe forgotten since COVID is that the earlier you buy, the cheaper the price. You know, and and this is the the sort of misconception that that is out there in the market, or at least from what I see, is that people wait until the last minute to buy and then they're faced with higher prices. And any airline worth its salt will tell you the dynamic of pricing is that the closer you get to the day of the flight, the higher the price is going to be. It's a simple case. And we know that Fridays and Sundays are the most expensive flights because you still have the phenomenon of people flying in, working in different cities, etc. So, yes, we're very cognizant that advanced booking ensures good pricing. And what is your opinion of those websites that give you comparative pricing that you can book via? Is that something that airlines encourage or would you suggest that we book directly? Because I don't use those via portals. Mm, I'm always nervous about Mm. that. Um, Look, my honest opinion, Janet, and I tell you this from our experience with COVID, a large part of our customer base who booked through those online channels Um, and I don't speak about our domestic online agencies I'm speaking about the global ones 
a lot of our customers were unable to get their refunds and we struggled in between because the contract was actually between the customer and that online channel and, mm -hmm. and not directly with ourselves. At the moment, I will tell you that what I've seen, like you said, revenge travel, I've also seen a return within the South African market to the travel agent. And given the amount of sort of differing rules these days in terms of visas and um, health declarations and the like, the greater move has been to the trade, to the travel agent. So my mm. honest opinion is your travel agent is your best friend. I would also recommend the more reputable travel agents because what you will see is those that belong to the larger consortium, the consortium have banded together so that they get a greater scale or a greater deal off any of the airlines that operate within South Africa. So not only with South African Airways, but with any other airline, you'll see the bigger consortium having a better discount. So yes, while you might benchmark on those aggregators online and, and see what those specials are, my concern for the consumer is that when you want to make a change, when you want to make a re get a refund, that is what tells you whether that entity is is a good option for you or not. So, Very good Jenny, for our listeners, Shabnam, because you know we've had uh, we need to operate in a risk mitigation environment, and I think people you. who are holidaying, people who are traveling are trying to find the best value for money. They're not just booking it the night before because they were deciding to go somewhere on a whim. I think there's a lot more planning going into traveling because the ground costs are factored even more so now. And I think there's also a trend towards people planning in advance, whereas, you know, we were very much spontaneous travelers in the past. We're now checking every aspect when is the best season when is the best value we're not just traveling on a whim so that's great advice you know you you mentioned that janet and something just came to my mind to to mention also to your followers is that you know post-covid one of the most important additions to travelers sort of information pack or what you should have for you is is travel insurance and previously pre-covid when we got into that sort of techno era where we were doing everything ourselves you didn't there was no sort of need to to ensure that you had travel insurance you know okay fine you bought it on your credit card and everything went off okay and you came back but post-covid some of the countries now insist that you have travel insurance um when you travel and where does the ordinary consumer go out and get that you know apart Correct. from your credit card um, which might not cover everything, and that's something else a customer needs to look at, is what kind of cover do you actually have when you are traveling? And again, this is why I'm advocating um, post-COVID at this juncture when we are now getting back out there and wanting to go back on holidays, your travel agent is your friend. Because again, it would be very easy for me to say, come and buy directly on SA, but I'm not a consolidator. I cannot give you car hire. Exactly. I can't give you a hotel. I can't give a visa. I can't do your travel insurance. You know, Shabnam, an interesting example. My sister, who's in her mid-70s, and her husband are traveling to the UK to visit their kids, and they're having to budget at least 
11K extra for insurance. She's mm. covered because of the credit card. But my brother-in-law, who's in his mid-80s, is a higher risk. Yeah. 11K extra just to take that trip. And it's because of the health risks that are associated with traveling. It's because we've just become more risk-averse than we used to. And anybody in their mid-80s, very healthy or not, one needs yeah. to budget for something going wrong. Exactly. exactly. So it's not something that you can do just off the cuff, even though they're being accommodated and they would just need to fly there. Mm. You know, whilst you're there on the ground, you need to be adequately covered. Exactly. So, Shabnam, I now have a chicken or beef question for you. And it's a question everybody asks. It's so funny. It's human yeah. nature. They choose yeah. an airline because they're getting a coffee and a sandwich. And the question I want to ask is, has SAA reviewed its policy around in-flight meals on short runs? Is that strategy changing? Because that seems to be the trend now is to provide something when people are traveling. So SA has always been a legacy carrier. Legacy carrier meaning that it's a full-service airline. So any full-service airline will invariably um, give you a snack or a meal on board. Also, you'll get your luggage included, and you will probably belong to an alliance or a loyalty program on a full-service carrier. So since restart, that is what SA went back to. There was only a short period during COVID when meals were not served on board, but we're back as a full service carrier. I actually had a, a, a laugh with our chef the other day because on the Durban flight, they're now serving a snack of samosas and a pie. And, and I said to to the chef, I said, really, after all these years, I've been here 30 years, and this is the first time I've seen samosas on a plane. Well, that's yeah. happening to know. That's very good to know that uh, cultural culturation has happened because yes. it is bound to happen. You know, sometimes you fly internationally and you just say, oh, and I'm one of those really fussy people. I don't usually eat on a flight. And sometimes you're just wowed, you know, and mm. you say, that meal, that meal, I'd go back for that meal. So it's yeah. good that uh, our cuisine on SAA is representative of cultures in South Africa, and, and that's heartening to know. So yeah, when so it comes to luggage allowance on these regional flights, is it still 20 kilograms? Is it 23? What is it now? Okay, so I think it was about eight or nine years ago, I might uh, speak under correction, but SA moved quite a long time ago away from the weight concept to the piece concept. So that meaning that your economy one piece is 23 kilos and your one piece of hand luggage is eight kilos. And uh, in business class, it's 32 kilos per piece. Now, from an IATA legislation, you're not allowed to have a bag packed more than 32 kilos. And that is because there's another human being on the other end lifting your bag. So oh. customers sometimes love packing their bags 
more than the regulation weight. And, and the reason I mention this is that, I mean, we've got to think of the next person. Uh, it doesn't mean that if I can lift my 40 kilo bag, the, 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 the person that is out there lifting my bag into the aircraft belly um, is going to be able to lift that bag easily. I think so, we all to gym in order to be <laughs> able to make 40 kilos look like 23 kilos. <laughs> Some people do that at the airport. Oh, no, this is light. And then you put it on the scale and it's really twice as heavy as what you assume. Exactly. But yeah, so in our on our regional routes, there's quite a few routes that offer two pieces of luggage in economy. So, for example, Mauritius now, previously, pre-COVID, we only used to um, offer one piece of luggage to Mauritius at 23 kilos in economy and 32 in business class, we now offer two pieces in economy at 23 kilos per piece. So customers can really benefit on our regional routes where we are very generous with the amount of luggage we allow you to carry. That's very good to know for me, who's a serious shopper. (laughs) Shabnam, I have another last question before we wrap up. So I'm flying out tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., going to Durban for a family wedding. We're doing a blind tasting, by the way, of wines uh, Mm. with the whole family. So it's one of those curated, bespoke experiences. Just a a very posh reason to have a piss up. But Mm. are we allowed to carry alcohol in the carry-on luggage or does it get packed in the big bag? So are you you leaving out of Cape Town or Johannesburg? Out of Cape Town. So then you we don't have a service between um Cape Town and Durban. So you're obviously flying on a on a competitor airline. On one of your competitor airlines, yes. Yeah. So with SAA, we do allow you do you know those wine boxes? They're those slim line boxes that carry two bottles of wine together. Yeah, it has that full. Yeah, so if it allows you to carry that um, with a maximum of two bottles in it in your hand luggage on the plane, I can't speak for my competitors, however. So, my sort of contribution would be specific to SAA. Yes, SAA does allow you to carry a maximum of two bottles of wine in those um, sort of constructor box devices. Well, I've packed them like that and I'll just, I've packed them, I've bought them in those boxes. So I'm hoping that it's it's incident free and I'll have to check at the airport when I get there anyway. So Shabnam, before we say goodbye to you, and I'm hoping that we will keep you on as one of our regular contributors to this conversation around air access. Are there Mm. any parting words for our listeners on SAA and where it's at. We, we're just eager to hear any parting words about air access into Africa or where the airline is right now. So what I would say to your listeners is that those of us who have remained at SAA are very passionate and very diligent and we're doing our darndest to get us back to being an airline that the South Africans are proud of. Like I mentioned to you, we have two Southern Hemisphere destinations on the table at the moment. It is just for us to see which one wins out to be launched first. And we're hoping to make that announcement soon in the next 
um, week or two. Also, for me, I just hope that your followers, how can I put this? Don't think, just fly. How's that, Janet? I love it. It just, it is so jet-setting with Janet Shabnam. We don't <laughs> think, we just fly. We go. I think that should adventure. be your new slogan. Don't think, just fly. <laughs> Don't think, just fly. I think I'm going to change my WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, and fly, SAA. And fly, SAA. Shabnam, delightful having you on the show with us. You know, airlines have become, the airline conversation has become a heavy conversation. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that we got to have a little bit of fun chatting to you. Wishing you and the team all the best as you take to the skies again in new regions and may it grow from strength to strength. Thank you, Jen. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm I'm so sorry that this has come to an end. I hope we have a lot more conversations like this. Lots it is more conversations so coming good. for sure. Thank you so much for, for having me on your show.